Before we get started with the show, I wanted to thank the people that headed along to the website and store that I recommended last week. I was telling you about Shazzle Rocks on Etsy, a store owned and operated by friend and listener of the show who produces amazing copper and crystal tree of life pendants and other goodies. The perfect present for anyone who's looking to raise their vibrations and encourage positivity in their lives. She's only shipping to the US at the moment, but is giving 20% off and free shipping over the holidays. She had a lot of response from our mention and has made a number of sales off of the back of it. We knew she would because the stuff that she makes is just amazing. If you've not looked yet, head along to Shazzle Rocks on Etsy. The link is in the show description and on our website. But once again, thank you for showing her your support. And as mentioned last time, this is not a paid ad. We just wanted you to know about a cool product that we love. The Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 92 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. Now this is the last podcast that you're going to get from us before Christmas and then we're taking a little break through January so we won't be actually putting another podcast out now until February after this one, the start of February. So we're having a nice little break which I think is is deserved. Definitely. But don't worry about that because we will continue to put out the Reminiscing with Toms every other week. They're already scheduled, so you don't need to worry about that. And, of course, you can go through our back catalogue if you get the opportunity as well and just have a look at maybe some of the episodes that you've missed or even just revisit them. Who knows? Yeah, because we're that cool that they just want to listen to us over and over again. I'm trying to sell it and you're just... You need to go on that sales course. Mm -mm. Okay? Okay. You, You need to push the envelope a little bit. Okay. I'll work on that. Mm. We've got today for you a treat. We've obviously got Ruth Roper Wild coming up later on with her paranormal report. We've also got ufologist Richard Lenny coming up with his UFO report as well. As well as that, we have with us a guest today, Mark Reese. He's been with us before. Now, actually, a listener of ours, Richard Enriquez, he responded to a tweet that Mark Reese had put out about ghost stories at Christmas. And on the back of that, we spoke to Mark and we've arranged this very short, but I think you'll find very interesting interview. It is very interesting, the stories that we're looking at. Yeah, yeah, it is a really good idea. And you never know, it may start here, we may start to change the face of what Christmas looks like in the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we got to get the credit for that. Yeah, of course. Please welcome to the show, author, journalist, and all-round funny and nice bloke, Mark Rees. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello, hello, both. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas to you. This is technically our Christmas show, because this is going out next week as we're speaking, but this yep. is the last show we're actually going to be doing before Christmas. So very aptly, Merry Christmas. Well, yeah, so I, I'm in a way, I'm like your, your Christmas, I'm like Santa. I'm, I'm Father Christmas who's turned <laughs> up at the end of the year with um, all the but, leftovers. But with no presents. <laughs> it's Christmas all year round when we speak to you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, first of all, got to say congratulations. I hear that you ranked pretty highly on the Paranormal Entertainment Awards. Yes, thank you. Yes, not 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 as high as I would have liked, but yes, I, I ranked pretty highly. So um, yes, it's it's all it's always nice when um, people go out of their way to vote for you. So um, if, if anyone listening did vote for me, thank you very much. And um, yes, hopefully, hopefully the next book will do one better. Well, you know, second place is nothing to be sneezed at. And uh, in the Olympics, that would have been a silver. You know, let's look at it like that. So, I mean, I do prefer silver to gold. If I was going to wear jewellery, I'd wear silver <laughs> rather than gold. Exactly. So there is that. But I, I've got, I've always got this thing in my head where I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Formula One fan. And I remember watching, uh, there's a driver called Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, I know. Who, who's yeah. Known for, there we are. He's, he's known for being very deadpan. Very, 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 very. So he doesn't 
he doesn't sort of, he's very sarcastic. And I remember he came second once and the interviewer said, how does it feel? And he said, I'm the first of the losers. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel with second place. You know, it's, I'll, I'll do better next time. Next time it comes around, let us know and we'll put the word out and get people voting as well. So uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we were really impressed to hear that you did so well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And thank you for, for giving the book a nice plug the last time I was on the show as well. Yeah, no problem. Well, like I said, it is a good book. I think we mentioned to you last time that even Bryce, our lad, was in WH Smith that time and he sent us a message and he said, oh, guess what I've just seen? Look. And he sent us a picture of your book and him holding your <laughs> yes. book, you know, because he saw it in WH Smith. <laughs> you know, I mean, we got it yes. here. He could have taken it off the bookshelf and actually taken a photo of himself with it here, but because he'd <laughs> yeah. seen it in the shop. And, and that's that's when you know you've made it. When you're, If you're in WH Smith, you, you've hit the big time. Yeah. So that's, exactly. that's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this interview today came about because a listener of ours, Richard Enriquez, responded to a tweet that you put out. He did, yes, yes. And it's a tweet. It's one I started sort of a year or two ago uh, originally. And uh, as, as I'm sure you've gathered by now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of ghost stories. Uh, I, I love the fact that ghost stories traditionally were associated with Christmas. And nowadays, it's pretty much become more of a Halloween thing. People think of Halloween, that's the scary time. Christmas, th- this tradition of ghost stories is kind of slipping away. So I, I like to do my-, my part to try and revive that tradition if I can, to try and sort of raise awareness. And and one thing I stumbled on, accidentally really, was that M.R. James, M.R. James, who who is considered to be the greatest, well, c- certainly the greatest English ghostwriter, if not the greatest British or, or the greatest in the world. And he-, he published a book, or there's a book that's been published, which collects all of his stories. And there is 31 in there. Which means if you read all 31 for an entire month leading up to Christmas, you can count down to Christmas with a ghost story a day, which, which I thought was quite a fun idea. And as it turns out, a lot of people on the internet agreed because that's, that's why they started sharing this tweet. And, and that's how, how your listener found out and decided to join in and get us all chatting again. Well, I think it's a great idea because I really didn't know about it. And I mean, did it start off with Dickens, with Scrooge, or was it a thing before then? I, I think if we're, if we're going to give credit to somebody, I think Charles Dickens really is the man because not, not, not just with Scrooge, he, he published a lot of Christmas stories and ghost stories and Christmas ghost stories combined. I mean, not, not all of the ghost stories were Christmassy, not all of the Christmassy, Christmassy ghost God, tongue twister, eh? not all of the Christmassy <laughs> stories were ghost stories. Um, but he published a lot himself. He also published a lot of his friends. So, he, you know, when he was editing, he would publish you know, the works of, of Wilkie Collins and people say who were writing ghost stories. So it was very much a Victorian thing, very much led by Dickens. The, the really famous one, which still hangs around now, is, of course, A Christmas Carol. But he had some really eerie tales like there's, there's the Signalman is, is, is another favorite of mine. And I think what, what Dickens did really well is that, again, people think of ghost stories as being these sort of scary Halloween-y type tales, which, of course, they are. But with Dickens, there was also that kind of sort of feel-good, Christmassy, Christmassy nuss to it then. And I know I'm going to spoil A Christmas Carol, but I'm assuming everyone has read A Christmas Carol. <laughs> if not, they should have by yeah. now. But, but, but A Christmas Carol does end on, on a high note. You know, you've got the scary ghosts terrorizing Scrooge. But at, at the end of the day, it's a happy, positive ending. He becomes, you know, a, a jolly, happy man. And we assume they live happily ever after. So I think that that's, that's for me, I think that is the heart of the Christmas ghost story, where, yes, they scare the hell out of you, but not not like a modern-day horror film, then, in a, in a more feel-good way. Of course, Christmas traditions around the world differ anyway. Over here, it's the nice Father Christmas-type figure that we think about, Santa Claus. But... In other parts of the world, you've got things like Krampus, which is yes. a more sinister take on Christmas. Yeah, I wouldn't want to piss Krampus off. No. no. Not at all, not at all. Well, <laughs> in Wales, in Wales, we do have the Mary Lloyd. Are you familiar with the Mary Lloyd no, at all? No, not at all. The, the Mary Lloyd, it's one of these things, and it's it's one of the toughest things to talk about on, on something like a podcast or radio, uh, because you really have to have a look at this thing. So I would recommend anyone listening, when they get the chance, you know, unless they're driving a car or something, but when you get the chance, have an internet search for the Mary Lloyd, because the Mary Lloyd is, you'll find out now why you, why you need to see this thing. The Mary Lloyd is a horse's skull, a real horse's skull, which is stuck at the end of a pole. And then the person holding the pole covers themselves with a white sheet. So the Mary Lloyd, it's, it's Welsh, which translates as some people think it means the grey mare, which ties in with a horse. Some people think the Mary is connected to the Virgin Mary, Mary, so it could be Holy Mary. But this horse's skull, 
then goes door to door, banging on the doors of everyone's house on New Year's Eve to challenge them to a, a battle in rhyme. As I said, this, this does sound bonkers, and it is bonkers, but this horse's skull goes door to door, banging on people's doors, challenging them to a rhyming game. And it, it's originally, it would have been in the Welsh language, and I've, I haven't got any rhymes at the top of my head, but the, the Mary Lloyd would, would say something like, it's really cold, I'm poor, I'm outside, let me in for some cake and some ale. That, you know, that this horse, this horse's skull is trying to get into your house to drink your beer and eat your cake. And the people inside have got to reply with, oh, we've had a tough year. We've got no money. We can't. And this goes back and forth, back and forth until eventually the horse wins, gets inside, stuffs its face, drinks the beer and, and moves on to the next house. So that, there is that tradition in Wales if you wanted to to revive it uh, this year. As you've been talking, I've just Googled it now to see a picture of it. For those people that are not from Wales, obviously we've got listeners all over the world. When you're looking for this, it's M-A-R-I. And then a new word, L-W-Y-D. And you'll see the picture of it. And yeah, it is quite a sinister-looking thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a heck of a thing. And it's, it was celebrated in, in South Wales predominantly and, and towards the east as well. So not really as far as Pembrokeshire, but from sort of Carmarthenshire towards the English border, say. And in, in the 19th century, you know, people would do this. And by all accounts, towards the end, it got a little bit out of hand. People were drinking a little bit too much and causing a little bit too much mischief. But there has been, certainly in the last few years, this uh, attempt to revive it. And, and there are places, you know, like in, in Chepstow and Gower and Llangunod and places, there are places out there who still do this nowadays. So it's a, it's a wonderful, if, if slightly macabre tradition. And, you know, you mentioned things like Krampus. I, I think this all ties in with this sort of feeling that people, that they, they want to be scared in, in a nice way, if that makes sense, at Christmas. They, they want these eerie things, but not in a, in a full-on gory Halloween way. Yeah. Well, of course, our parents used it, didn't they, when we were kids? They used it to sort of make sure that we were good throughout the year. I can remember my parents starting in July, you know. My birthday was in June, and, and in July they would be, right, Christmas is next. You, you better behave because Santa has already got his elves out scouting about. <laughs> I reckon if my birthday had been in February... By March, they'd have been talking to me about the following Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. You got twelve, twelve months of being good, or maybe that's why we needed Krampus in Wales. Because I mean, Krampus is is a heck of a deterrent. You look, you look at the photos of Krampus, and you think that is the last thing you want visiting you at. Uh, well, not not quite Christmas, just before, but it's a. Uh, it, it, would, it would certainly put me off as a kid. Yeah, definitely. So, Mr. James, what can you tell us yes. about Mr. James? Well, Emma, I mean, I'm no, I'm no sort of expert on the history of Mr. James. All, all I know is at Christmas time, I love reading his short stories. Um, I, I think that is one of the key things, actually, is that all of his stories are short stories, which which are perfect for you know. This isn't going to take you weeks and weeks. You you can read one in a night, in you know, half an hour or so, and. M.R. James wrote them. And I, I think, again, this is where he, he fits into Christmas nicely. But he, he worked in Cambridge and King's College. And most Christmas Eves, he, he would write a story for his pupils. So these stories weren't originally written to be published and to make lots of money. He, he wrote them just, you know, for, for his own amusement. And then to tell them to the, to the pupils in Cambridge that he, he was sort of teaching, looking after, they proved to be so successful that he ended up collecting a bunch of them together. They ended up being published. They sold really well. And it kind of picked up from there, you know, up to, up to the collected book, which is available now. And th these stories, I mean, they're called ghost stories. It, a better word might be eerie or creepy or macabre gothic mm, stories because yeah. they're not all about ghosts. There are some quite, you know, there's some quite... The, the, the really tricky thing with M.R. James is that all of these stories hang on one big shock or one big surprise. And so... If I said to you, it's the story where the ghost is in the bathroom, that's going to spoil the entire story. So yeah. it's very hard. It's very hard to say what's going on. But there's a sense. There's a sense of dread in, in every story, and and most of them have that that big reveal at the end where you find out what evil thing has been up to mischief in, in this particular story. Well, this has been my first encounter with M.R. James after obviously having this conversation over Twitter and then having a look at some of the information that's out there and reading some of the stories. What we did was I read two of them, Bella read some, and then so did Bryce. And actually, I mean, this was a really good thing for us because we sat down afterwards and we had a discussion and we all told the stories that we'd read so we we weren't all reading the same story we then interpreted yeah. it 
and and had a discussion about it. This idea of all sitting around and telling stories actually really appealed to me. I, I quite like that as well. So you're not just sitting there on your own. You're actually sort of engaging with other people as well mm. and maybe even reading their story to each other. But yes, I mean, I mean, the MR James tales are, are are perfect for that. You know, as, as I mentioned, they, they are short, which really does help, and they they all hang on that big surprise. It's a bit like when you're kids and you, you tell ghost stories, don't you? And then you build up, you build up, and at the end, the killer is on the roof of the car, banging someone's head or whatever the big shock is. And I, I feel MR James has a, you know, the, the stories have a similar feel, although in a in a more Edwardian way, he wasn't writing about severed heads and cars and things. But a lot of these stories, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, a lot of these stories in the 1970s were filmed by the BBC every Christmas. They, they had a Christmas ghost story. And and I think this really helped as well to sort of cement M.R. James as, as the Christmas ghost story writer, because you knew that the BBC were going to terrify you and your family, uh, a bit like you were doing by telling each other stories, but you knew <laughs> that the BBC were going to terrify people with these stories. And and that, again, is something they've they revived recently with uh, Mark uh, Gatiss, or Gattis, or however he pronounces his surname, who's in the League of Gentlemen, but is also you know, a wonderful writer in his own right, who's adapted some of these stories for more... Uh, a more modern take on them, so that you know that ghost story thing, a bit like the Mary Lloyd, has, has had a bit of uh, a bit of a revival in the last few years. So, Mark, do you want to tell us one of the stories that resonates with you the most? Yes, I think it. it, it I mean, it's it's a tricky one to pick your favourite, but I think the the easiest one to talk about and and the one I sort of go to first tends to be a, a whistle and I'll come to you, my lad, uh, which a lot of people just call a whistle and I'll come to you, which is what the the TV version was called. Um, and you know, I love I love Lost Hearts, and I love I love a lot of the other. I love the Ashtray, um, but I, I don't want to spoil those. So let's talk about a whistle. And what, one of the, the the key parts in this story is the the main protagonist knows there's something strange going on in his bedroom at night, and, and he's in the dark. Mr. James frames this much better than I can, but you can feel the tension building in his room, and he, he's not easy sleeping in this room. It's it's a hotel room. And the, the the big spoiler moment, which I, I will spoil for this, and if anyone doesn't want to hear this, put your fingers in your ears for a few seconds. Well, again, unless you're driving, in which case don't. But um, <laughs> yeah. th- th- there's a moment where he, he's in a, a double room, a room with, with two separate beds. And the sheet on the bed next to him sort of rises up in this ghostly form, which, of course, is, is a very iconic image of a ghost now, isn't it? We all think of ghosts mm. as being you know, a floating white sheet in a sort of Scooby-Doo style. And th- th- this this is used to to really good effect in this story, where the, this man just feels there is something, something out there, something just sort of just in the corner of his eye, following him. And, and when this thing emerges as a white sheet, and then when the light is turned on or the light comes into the room, you know, his mind is cast into doubt again. Did did he imagine it? You know, he's pretty sure he didn't. But at the end of the day, you know, there's the sheet lying there, motionless on the bed. What what went on? And it's this kind of sort of psychological, in a way, psychological creepiness that, that he puts into a lot of his stories. And, and I should say that that is not the end of a whistle. So I, I haven't spoiled the entire story by saying that. I've spoiled a bit of it, but it's still well worth list, uh, reading that one or listening or watching because the, these BBC adaptions are still out there to be watched. I read... <laughs> The ash tree story. I thought that was pretty good. Yes, the, I mean the ash tree again. It's one you don't want to spoil, but there's something in that tree, isn't there? Which yeah. <laughs> I, I, I certainly wasn't expected to be in that tree. Yeah. Um, and, and this this is where it gets really really difficult talking about Edward James because there's 31 stories which are all pretty much of the same. You know, this one's about something I don't want to say, and that one's about something else I don't want to mention, and it just gets all, all a bit difficult, really. But it was good because because I wasn't expecting it. You know, do you know what it reminded me of reading it? Is it reminded me a lot of the old Twilight Zone type of stuff, and very sort of Stephen King esque as well in in a lot of ways. Yes, the, yes. The writing, but you've got that added romance, I suppose. I would say of the old English writing. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. There yes. was one quote that I wrote down from Lost Hearts, and this isn't going to spoil anything, but it says. Uh, some annoyance may be experienced from the psychic portion of the subjects, which popular language dignifies with the name of ghosts. <laughs> yes. And yeah. I, I love that whole, some annoyance may be experienced, you know. <laughs> yeah, today yes, we'd just yes. be like, there was a ghost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing you can't, you can't replicate nowadays, you know. He, he was an Edwardian person writing in Edwardian times, and that's why it sounds authentic, isn't it? 
he paints the picture really well. That Canon Albrecht scrapbook where he's talking about the town that he's in and, you know, he's talking about walking down the street and uh, and the description of the church and that's it's the sort really of, well done. That's the sort of stuff, though, that really gets you into it because you can then picture a lot, you know, so because he's so descriptive, yeah. I think that makes a big difference. It, it might make you think twice about wandering around France on your own, though, <laughs> yeah. afterwards. Well, I, I don't know. You've got nothing to lose. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I expected a bigger laugh there, but okay. I'll let you do the jokes, Mark. <laughs> Go on, but by the worst. No, it was it was really interesting, and I'm glad that you pointed it out to us, actually. You know, and I'm glad that, you know, Richard tagged us into that because it, it isn't something that I've done, but I think it is something that, going forward, we may take on as part of the tradition of, of Christmas is, is by you know, reading some ghost stories and actually sitting around together, you know, with a nice glass of mulled wine or something and just, just telling each other about the stories. It was interesting because Bryce read The Mezzotint. Are you familiar with The Mezzotint? Yes, although it's not it's not, it's not one I've reread this year, actually, but, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the sort of the, the image that's moving. Yeah. Um, so- or, 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 or is it? Um, but it's, it's not fresh in my mind, that one. So The Mezzotint, for people who don't know, is a piece of artwork that people can create using either brass or copper and you would use a a sharp implement to scratch an image onto either the brass or the copper creating lighter areas and therefore creating the image as i said this is one that bryce read i didn't but he said that there was a, a group of people within this image within this mezzotint image and every time other people saw it so let's say, for instance, I showed it to Bella, there would be X amount of people in, in the image. But then if I then showed it to someone else, there would be more people in the image. Is that... Because mm. I'd be in there. Well, I, I don't know. But he said that it seems to be that it was people that had died that were appearing in, in the image. That, that is the, that's the creepiness about it, yes. And there's... there's I, too, I, I hate to keep doing this, actually, but this is something else. That if you did... Um, a, a, an image search for this uh, for a gif you know those are the moving images yeah that some, somebody has made a really clever gif of this out on the internet because as you mentioned when you look at it with different people the, the, the number of people in the image appears to be changing the, you know and maybe they're dead people and somebody has made this gif that changes every minute or so. so so when you stare at it it looks perfectly still and then you go and get a cup of coffee and you come back and this gif has changed on your computer screen oh, wow. which I thought was a nice a nice little touch so someone, someone's <laughs> taken it even further um, but but yes, uh, and and again, that that's it's, it's part of the magic of Mr. James is that you know is is this person going mad? Is is this person is it a psychological thing, or is there something a bit more supernatural going on? That's that that's the creepiness of the tale, really. That's one of the things that I really liked about the stories that I read, and certainly the ones we talked about, is that although there's a reveal, like you said, there isn't. It isn't like a kind of, and this is what happened. The end. You know, it's, no, it yeah. kind of leaves you wondering. Like, uh, and uh, I think that's really clever writing. Like cliffhanger, you know, where you yes. go, oh, well, it could have been this to happen, but it could have been that that happened. Yeah, I think that promotes discussion because I may read it and and see a, a certain thing in it, and then Bella may read it and see something slightly different. Yes, yes. And, and you know, we'll never know as well. I mean, these stories were written, what, a century ago? So we will never know what really happened in any of them, which... Which might drive some people mad, I don't know. Maybe that's what he intended. <laughs> yeah. yes. So you've obviously been quite busy over the Halloween time. I know that, that that's usually quite a busy time for you. If this idea of bringing back these tales at Christmas time, you might find that your your season, if you like, because I know that when we discussed it before, you said my season, I get called on sort of October time or from September probably on for all of the Halloween stuff. And then it goes a little bit quiet then until the following year. This could extend your season quite dramatically, couldn't it? Well, what, what, what weirdly, I mean, sort of the old joke that I say is that, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Poplar up until October the 31st. <laughs> and then from November the 1st, nobody cares about me. You know, once, once Halloween's over, everyone forgets. But but this year, this year was, it, it changed radically because I'm a Celebrity was filmed in North Wales, of course. Ah, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, which, is, which is just finished. And so Halloween finished. And then I had even more media requests come in straight afterwards because I believe it was either it started or they were building up to it um, early November. 
So no, November was even busier, if anything, talking about haunted castles and things. Um, and then if this ghost story does roll in, you know, I'll just become Mr. M- Mr. Cold months, I guess. I guess once we reach September, <laughs> it gets a bit chilly. Then, then I come out and talk about ghosts, and then people might forget about me in the spring and the summer. I don't know. Let's, let's see how it goes. <laughs> well, you could put the summer in there because you could do campfire stories. Yes, yes. Just no, there's just no rest, as I know. So, did you learn anything about the castle that they were doing? I'm a celebrity in. Yes, I mean, I, I sort of I knew the sort of the sort of basics behind it. Um, I'm, I'm really kicking myself now because when I when I wrote Paranormal Wales, my my most recent ghost book. There's a section in there about castles, and Greek Castle, where they filmed it, was one. It was on my list, and in the end, it didn't quite make the final book. I thought I'll save that for the next one because I had some other places in in that part of North Wales. So I thought, you know, I won't have too many from one area. Um, and I'm kicking myself because if I'd known, I could think of many books I could have sold with <laughs> the book about the I'm a Celebrity Castle. But there you go. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's why I'm rubbish at uh, selling myself. <laughs> But yes, I mean, the, do you want me to tell you some of the yeah, ghost yeah, stories go for it, yeah. from the castle? The, the, the main ghosts there really, and there's a bit of confusion here, but there's two women, two female ghosts. Uh, one is supposed to be a good old-fashioned woman in white. The other one is supposed to be um, a lady in red, um, which is more of a song, isn't it, than a traditional ghost. But <laughs> they, they could be the same person. They could be two separate ghosts. We don't know. And... They're believed to be a woman who who died in a horse riding accident, um, and she, she she died tragically, fell off, smacked her head, and now she's still there. Um, the other theory is that the countess is there as well. So again, there's all these ifs and buts and maybes. Is it the the horse riding lady? Is it the countess? Is it the two of them? Or is it just one person who likes to change the color of their clothing now and then? We don't know. Um, and that is the ghost that these these celebrities, if they saw anything. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I find it very difficult to watch the program, but, but if these celebrities did see ghosts, um, it is assumed to be one of these two. And li- there are little things which tie in with these stories. So uh, apparently people have heard ghostly horses making neighing noises there and things, which which ties in with this girl being thrown off. But yes, there's there's a lot of a lot of ghost stories and some folklore and things connected to the castle. And it's, you know, it's the kind of thing I could... You know, I, I could waffle on and fill a whole episode about, you know, if, if people are interested in it. I know that they did come out at the start and say that there were some of the celebrities had seen something or were a little bit scared. In fact, actually, I don't think it was the celebrities. It was the crew. The crew had actually decided yeah, that they weren't going to go into certain areas of the castle because they'd heard noises and moans and, and seen figures. Yes, I mean, I think a lot of it would have been in their minds beforehand. I mean, all the publicity leading up to it. I mean, I, mean, I, I was going on about it beforehand on a lot of things as well, you know, saying, yes, this place is supposed to be haunted, and yes, these ghostly women are running around the place. So I think any crew members spending the night in this strange place on their own would have had this, you know, in the back of their mind to to, to, to begin with. You know, being cynical, it's also very good publicity for them, isn't it? You know, if somebody says, look at this grainy picture which might have a ghost in it, all of a sudden, all the red-top newspapers are all publishing this picture and they're all talking about it. So it, it's all very good it's all very good marketing, the ghost stories connected to it. Did they see anything? To, to, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, that there's been nothing convincing that, 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 that's come out of it. And, and if you think about it, this is one point I was making, is that a lot of these sort of ghost shows, they, they'll go somewhere for 24 hours, they'll film overnight, and you know, they'll run around screaming, and ooh, we've seen a ghost. But this, this celebrity program, they were there for three weeks, I believe, mm. with those cameras running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So and nobody theory, caught anything. This, well, it it on the one hand, it is the most conclusive scientific ghost hunt ever, isn't it? I mean, you know, <laughs> there was a hell of a lot of cameras on a hell of a lot of people for day after day after day. What did they get? I, as far as I, as far as I know, very little. But you know, as I said, I couldn't. I, I watched the first ten minutes of the first episode because you know I'd spoken so much about it. And, and I just can't, I, I just can't, life's too short to watch that kind of thing, so I had to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, it's, to be honest with you, we watched the first couple of episodes and then we weren't as into it. It's kind of lost its luster, it's hasn't it? It's over now. Celebrity, yeah, I think it's it's been done too many years. I was really hoping that this time, because it was in a castle, that they were going to do, you know, some really interesting trials, like, you know, stick them on the rack or something, you know. <laughs> yes. You know, rather than bringing in these bugs that are, 
not even necessarily native to this area, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I would have much preferred them to switch it up a little bit. Never mind the bugs. They should have given them lava bread. That would have sorted them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a plate of Welsh cakes. Try and eat those if you can. Oh, yeah, I like Welsh cakes. I need to get my mother to make some for you. That'll that'll sort you out. Same year, actually. That'll be a rubbish trial, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 Can, can you manage all this barra breath? Oh, go on, then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. barra breath. They, they should... Yeah. They, even if they'd have got them to learn a few Welsh words, that would have been great. I'm not. I'm not knocking. I'm a celebrity. There's a lot of people that like it, and it's it's obviously popular. It's been it's been around for years. It's just not necessarily our thing anymore. I don't think. But um, my family thoroughly enjoyed it. My th- family were all watching it. Yes, you know, I mean, a lot of pe- a lot of people do love I'm a celebrity. Some of my friends and family. It's just you know, for, for, for me, yeah, there's so much going on. Life's too short for me to sort of watch reality TV shows right now. And. Uh, Maybe I'm missing out. I don't know, but there you go. There's enough things going on in life at the minute. Sometimes we need a, a nice little diversion, and I think it was that for a lot of people, you know. And hopefully, it may be that the Welsh Tourism Board, certainly that castle, may get a lot more business. You know, once lockdown lifts, people go there because you know the celebrities have been there and they've seen it on telly and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it might help the economy maybe in some ways, which I think we're going to need after all of this as well. Joking aside, I, I think it's an absolutely amazing thing for the castle itself which I, I don't know if you're aware is is run as a charity um and, and this place you know it, it's it's effectively it, it's, a, it's a bunch of passionate people trying to keep this place going mm. and I, I read somewhere that the the money from i'm a celebrity alone which mustn't have been quite considerable is only going to pay pay for a third of the repairs to the roof wow. so you know to put that into perspective they need a lot of money to keep this place going so Fingers crossed. I mean, I, I really hope that they go back there again next year and do it again and, you know, pay for the second third of uh, of the roof, you know. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, if it keeps the castle going, then, then long may it continue. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, Mark, it's been amazing speaking to you. I know this is only a quick one today, but we were really interested in speaking to you about the whole idea of, of bringing these ghost stories back at Christmas time. And I think that you're sort of championing this with your tweets and, and pushing it out. And I think it's a fantastic thing. I was going to say, the one person I really should thank, and this is my last little useless fact before, before I let you get to it, that a lot of people don't realise is, do you know the Andy Williams song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year? Yes. There was a line in there to where he sings about scary ghost stories, which nobody really picks up on. People just go with it. But hmm. if you listen to the lyrics, he is singing. Andy Williams, back in the 60s, was singing about scary ghost stories at Christmas. And if anyone says, what a load of rubbish, there's no ghost stories at Christmas, say, well, actually... You listen to one of the biggest Christmas songs ever recorded, and Andy Williams is telling us to listen or to read scary ghost stories. So if it's good enough for Andy Williams, it's good enough for the rest of us. So before you go, Mark, can you um, just tell our listeners a little bit about where they can pick up your books? Yes, it's it's the usual line, all good bookstores. Uh, that includes all the, the, the online places, which, you know, I'd, I'd rather people buy them local if they can. But if not, you can get them on Amazon and eBay and the, the usual big book places. There are signed copies available from the comic shop who, who are based in Swansea, but they ship anywhere in, in Wales in the world. So if anyone does want a signed copy, the, the comics shop, that's spelled C-O-M-I-X, not comics, and shoppy, as in ye oldie shoppy, very Dickensian, uh, the comic shop can sort that out. And they've got all my, certainly all my spooky books in stock. So Ghosts of Wales, Paranormal Wales and Curious Wales. Excellent. Lovely job. Thank you very much. And if they want to drop you a tweet or whatever, how can they do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite easy to find uh, online. If you search for Mark Race and put ghosts or folklore or one of those kind of words in, you know, you, you'll find me. But it's at Review Wales is my actual handle on Twitter. Uh, it's the same for my Facebook page and it's the same for Instagram and at, or, or just direct through my website. Mark, you've been brilliant. Thank you once again. Really do appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Thank you both, and Merry Christmas, Nadolly Clowen. <laughs> Nadolly Clowen, all of us. Take Merry care. Christmas. Bye. Bye. Amazing speaking to Mark, wasn't it? I always like it when he's on. He's really interesting. Do you know what? Sometimes when he's on, I feel like a fake Welshman. <laughs> because he is so Welsh. Yeah. You know, he's, he's really cool, and uh, I wish I knew more about... I don't feel like a, uh, a fake Welshman, just so no. Well, you felt a Welshman. I'm moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go now over to our favourite ufologist, Richard Lenny, for his report. Hi, this is Richard Lenny, and welcome to the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful, somewhere on planet Earth. I am speaking to you today. And I want to start with 
hotting up of UFOs in space and in our atmosphere. So this last few months, probably going back to the summer, I've noticed a hell of a lot has changed as far as UFOs are concerned, these unidentified flying objects that we can't explain, especially in space, as um, I've noticed from the live feed from the ISS, nearly every day now, the cameras are picking up unidentified flying objects coming close to the ISS or being seen coming out of the Earth's atmosphere. Now, you go back probably a few years ago, you know, you might see something strange once a month, maybe, or once every two or three weeks. Uh, I've noticed it's been hotting up now, and over this last six to eight months, nearly a year, it's become tenfold. So, you know, nearly every day now, the cameras are picking up something. And when they are picking it up, I don't just mean, you know, a sphere coming out of the Earth's atmosphere. I'm talking squadrons of these things, fleets of spheres flying past the ISS. I mean, that's not debris, guys, okay? I mean, one sphere or one object that seems to be quite close to the ISS could possibly be um, some sort of space debris. But um, to have this many going past, and they're quite large as well, and we know for a fact that the ISS is on a grid system. So what that basically means is if they get enough time, they've got these retros, these little rockets that are fitted to the ISS, and they can move the ISS into another grid to um, avoid the oncoming particle, whatever it might be. If they don't have enough time, then obviously they go into the um, front capsule, all of them, and they wait until... Um, NASA tells them that it's safe to come out. But when these things are seen coming past, they obviously don't get notified, I suppose. Um, they just appear from nowhere and they don't have time to move the ISS. And they are so close. Some of them literally seem to be just going past the ISS. It, you know, it's possible it might not be as close as it looks, but it's definitely close. And the objects are big. And they're usually spherical in shape. And these are the spheres I keep talking about over and over again. I've told you in the past how to see them during the day, how to see them during nighttime, um, with a camcorder during the day with an infrared filter on it. And at nighttime with night visions, you see them all the time. They're up there 24-7, 365. And they come out of the Earth's atmosphere, they go into space, they go past the ISS, and then they head towards our moon. And I know this for a fact because we've used powerful telescopes to see the moon and we've seen them coming out of the moon, um, out of a crater, particular, um, a particular crater called Aristarchus. They seem to like that particular one and they come out of that on a regular basis, three or four or five of them at a time. And then they move across and they head towards the earth. So, a lot of these spheres coming out of the Earth's atmosphere, going into space, are heading towards the moon. So there is something going on. There's a connection between the moon and the Earth. Whether there's an alien base on the moon or whether they are ours and we've got a base on the moon, who knows? But nevertheless, these things are coming now in squadrons and fleets. And it's nearly every day. So things are hotting up. Um, and also in our atmosphere as well. Um, I'm getting a lot more people sending me videos than ever before from their phones, um, catching things above the house, uh, above a park, um, airports, or if they're out for walks, they see strange lights in the sky. Um, there was a good one, actually, that um, Michael put up from Mr. MBB333. Somebody sent in a video of um, a couple of helicopters that this guy was videoing. And there were seven spheres and they were in like um, a line and they shot past above the helicopters. Um, again, it looked quite close, but I don't think it was that close. But these things were quite large. And then they shot round and came back up again and came back the other way. And they were in a chevron shape, like a V formation. Now, they're made up of spheres. And I've seen these before at night through my, uh, through my night visions. And boy, do these things go quick. 
I mean, I'm talking real quick, so quick, in fact, that I, I had problems keeping up with them. When I saw them in my viewfinder, it was like, whoa, and these things were bombing it. And they were in space when I saw them. They weren't in the Earth's atmosphere. They were actually in space. So um, these things were really shifting. So now they're seen during the daytime in our atmosphere as well as at nighttime in space. So they're coming down. They're with us. They're here. They're hotting up. Things, ladies and gentlemen, are getting very busy in our skies. So my advice to you is... Keep your cell phones on you and make sure you're ready to take a video or a picture because you've got to start looking up more because they're up there. I want to talk about something now which you may not have heard of before. Decennion, does that mean a bell with you? Decennion, spelled D-I-C-Y-A-N-I-N, Decennion, and it's a die. And basically, this stuff is found in oil, and if you can extract it from the oil, and you put it in between two planes of glass, or two optics, you can see into another realm, so they say. Um, they say you can see dead people, um, you can see extraterrestrial activity. So I sort of did a bit of research on it. And um, there are a lot of people that have got this stuff. Um, and by the way, it is totally illegal. If you're found with this substance, you get put in jail. Yes, you get put in jail for a long time. You're not allowed to have this. It's only for the military. Now, why is that, do you think? This stuff is like having heroin in your home. So uh, that's how bad it is. But that's all it is. It's just an extract from oil. And you get a little brush and it comes in a little bottle and you literally brush it between two panes of glass or two little optics in um, a pair of glasses. And then you put them on your face and you can see into another realm. It's like a veil's lifted and, and you see stuff basically like infrared, like a flare gun. Uh, you see into a, another frequency. And yeah, all sorts of stuff's going on. Well, I know people have, you know, tried this out. And ladies and gentlemen, Decinian dye works. You do see all this stuff. It does work. And that's the reason why it is totally illegal and you're not allowed to have it. So what I've done is I've put up on my Facebook page all about it. So I'll put the link down below for you to read it and you can decide for yourself what you think. But remember, it is totally illegal and you're not allowed to have it. Remember that. And then the last thing I want to talk about today. Well, actually, um, I put it up on my Facebook page. I'm going to read it to you because it's quite interesting. Are UFOs and aliens real? Yes, UFOs and aliens are real and they have been visiting Earth throughout our history. They're even here today and they're vastly more advanced than us. A few decades ago, belief in intelligent life outside of Earth, aliens, was still more often ridiculed than not. Today, it's a very different story. It's more absurd to not believe in it. As our understanding of other planets, the solar system and the universe, we are collectively realising that intelligent life simply must exist outside of Earth. It has to. But even though attitudes are changing, there's still a fair way to go until sincere, open discussion in the mainstream becomes the norm. People deserve to know the truth. And the Ethereus Society has been helping to spread and act upon the truth about UFOs and alien life since the 1950s. You may find it difficult to uncover the truth on the subject with the government cover-ups and fakes. But if you're hungry for the truth, then don't give up. In the words of Master of Yoga and contactee Dr. George King, if you've taken the truth and you're searching for the truth, you will find it. That's the law. You'll find it. When you do find it, it is your opportunity to become a better, wiser person. 
And on that note, I'd like to wish you all happy Christmas and a happy new year. And let's hope that 2021 is a little bit better than 2020. And you never know, next year we may find out the truth. This is Richard Lenny signing off for the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful. Thank you very much, Richard, as always. And obviously, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. Thank you once again for sending in such an amazing report. We've been really impressed with your offerings. We definitely have been. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does some good stuff. He does, he does. And we got a lot of people that have given some nice comments about his work as well. So yeah. that's really cool. So thanks again, Richard. And now we have the author, Ruth Roper Wild, with her segment. Hi, everyone. My name is Ruth Roper Wild, and I'm an author who writes about the paranormal. And this is my monthly roundup of all things spooky for the Weird Wacky Wonderful podcasts, which your host Shelley and Bella do such a great job on. I can't believe how fast these monthly slots come around. It feels like I blink and it's time to do a new one, even with the boredom of staying in to obey the lockdown rules. Having lost two close friends to COVID this year, it feels more important than ever to be staying indoors and staying away from large crowds. The upside on that is, I got working this year on my fifth book and published a couple of weeks ago, which is a good few weeks ahead of my normal schedule. These Haunted Times Volume 2 is out now, and you can buy it in either paperback or download as an ebook, or if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, you can even read it for free. I sometimes get asked if you need to have read Volume 1 before Volume 2, and the simple answer is no, they're standalone books. But you might find I refer back sometimes, which might make slightly more sense if you happen to be reading my books in sequence. So just in case you're wondering, the sequence in order of publication is Ghosts of Marston Vale first, then Almanac of British Ghosts, then Roadmap of British Ghosts, and finish up with Volumes 1 and 2 of These Haunted Times. I also get asked a lot what my next project is going to be. Well, right now, I'm toying with the idea of another roadmap, a volume two, or maybe branching out and looking at some American ghosts for a change. So watch this space. When I get mired into the research, it does kind of start to take its own direction. So we'll see what happens. And don't forget, if you have a tale you want to share, please email me on wa-1400 at outlook.com. I thought for this episode, with the festive season nearly upon us, we might take a look at those ghosts that haunt around the Christmas period specifically. So for Christmas Eve, for some reason, is one of the most popular nights of the year for an anniversary haunting, which is one of the terms for a haunting which only happens on one night of the year. They're sometimes also known as cyclical hauntings. There are so many associated with Christmas Eve, I'd be here all night if I tried to read them out to you. I normally cover around 2,000 words when I'm talking to you each month, and the entries for Christmas in my book The Almanac of British Ghosts runs to nearly 11,000 words. So I've chosen just a few to whet your appetite for this most spooky of seasons. Hever Castle is a stunning little gem of a castle situated in Kent, a little to the west of Tunbridge. It was originally built in 27 AD, but in 1460 passed into the ownership of one Henry Bullen. Like all ancient buildings, it's been added to and changed to many times over the years, but some parts of its Tudor heritage still remain, and it's the Tudor times that interest us. Henry Bullen's son inherited the castle, and it was he who changed the family name to Boleyn. It seems quite likely, although not known for sure, that Anne Boleyn was born here. She certainly spent the majority of her youth here. Her older sister Mary, although herself already married, was having an affair with King Henry VIII, and when she gave birth to a son and named him Henry, gossip in the court ran rife. Divorce was not yet a possibility at that time in English history, and maybe the king hoped that if, if he married Mary's sister, he would get the legitimate male heir he was so desperate to have. The king pursued his new love interest quite devoutly, and his determination to have her as his wife caused the history of England to change forever, as it was a catalyst for the rift between the crown and the church. Anne and Henry were married in secret in January 1533, and he declared her his queen in the summer of that year. He changed the law and removed the English church forever from the patronage of the Catholic Church in Rome, in order to make it legal for him to divorce his first wife and marry Anne. As we all know, his infatuation with her didn't last long, and when he cast her aside, he did so by having her beheaded, as if she were a common criminal, a thing almost unheard of for a Queen of England to endure. She is now often cited as being the most travelled ghost in England, 
since many locations around the country claim to have visits from her spirit. Heaver Castle is no exception, claiming two cyclical visits from her in the month of December, once on Christmas Eve and then again on Boxing Day. It's said that on Christmas Eve each year, her ghost can be seen crossing the bridge over the River Eden into the castle grounds. Some versions say that she starts her walk from beneath the mighty oak tree in the gardens where she and Henry often courted, and other versions say she pauses on the bridge to throw a sprig of holly into the water. Since the King and Anne were married in January, the romantic in me can't help but wonder if she chooses Christmas to haunt because that's when her lover finally proposed to her. In 2012, one visitor reported that they had felt a presence in the long gallery, and in 2013, another visitor took a photograph outside the castle, which clearly shows an orb in one of the doorways. In 2015, another visitor took a photograph which he believed showed the spectral hand of Anne Boleyn. His photo, reproduced in several national newspapers at the time, including the Daily Mail, shows a misty, slightly elongated hand shape with his index finger pointing towards the fireplace. Unfortunately, it also shows extreme blurring of every light source in the room, with a left-to-right movement and a trail of light. The spectral hand follows exactly the pattern of this movement trail, and so it's almost certainly just the trail left by the moving camera from some minor light source or lens glare. I'd also question how you could identify just a hand. Even if we accepted that in the first place it is a hand, how you could identify that as being the hand of Anne Boleyn. On Boxing Day... Legend has it that her ghost can sometimes be seen or heard sitting in a small alcove off the long gallery, quietly singing in a sad-sounding voice. I haven't been able to find any actual sightings of her. Rochester Castle in Kent also boasts a famous ghost on Christmas Eve. Charles Dickens, one of the most well-known and celebrated writers in British history, was extremely fond of this monument, spending much time here during his lifetime. When he died, he apparently requested that his body be interred in the old burial ground on the site of the castle but given his importance to the nation, it was decided he should actually be buried at Westminster Cathedral. He died in 1870, and it is said that since then his ghost could be seen walking around the moat and the cemetery on Christmas Eve at Rochester Castle. There seems to be no explanation as to why he should actually choose Christmas Eve. His birthday was in February and he died in June, so there seems no obviously outward connection to the date, other than, of course, one of his most famous pieces of writing is a ghost story which takes place on Christmas Eve. The Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena visited the site for an overnight vigil in July 1992 and recorded metallic clicks, heavy thumping sounds and a light turning itself on and off when it should not have. And Sheffield Paranormal visited in October 2009 and although they reported nothing specific, they felt the site had potential for real activity. So it seems possible the site is haunted for more than just one night of the year. Alternatively, you could take yourself along to Bowmere Pool, a few miles south of Shrewsbury, on Christmas Eve. Legend has it you'll be able to hear the sound of church bells ringing out from beneath the water. And best known for being the residence of the royal family at Christmas each year, the estate at Sandringham House in Norfolk is also said to suffer from poltergeist activity every year on Christmas Eve. Cards put up on display get thrown about, lights are turned on and off, books flung to the floor and bed coverings pulled off. Supposedly, the maids start to travel in groups in certain parts of the building, afraid to go alone because of the heavy wheezing sound that is likely to follow them if they do. Even Prince Charles is rumoured to have encountered an unpleasant sensation of being followed there, but unfortunately we won't get any full detail simply because it is, after all, a royal residence, and therefore intensely private. The curious legend of Oak Hill Park in East Barnet, London, is that the ghost of Geoffrey de Mandeville rides through the park across the, to the nearby Catholic church, where he disappears through the wall once every six years on Christmas Eve. Geoffrey was a baron, and from the sounds of it, quite a ruthlessly self-serving man. Queen Matilda and Queen Stephen were busy arguing out who the rightful claimant to the throne of England actually was, and Geoffrey appears to have cheerfully swapped his loyalty between them every time one of them offered him some more land and title. Eventually, King Stephen gained the upper hand, and became more than a little peeved at Geoffrey's disloyalty. He stripped him of some of his land and title, and had him excommunicated from the church for desecrating holy grounds. Geoffrey was killed during a skirmish in 1144. He died quite a slow death, and perhaps had time to become afraid of what excommunication meant for his immortal soul. One history says that the Knights Templar took his body to their church, 
where they had his coffin suspended from a tree above the graveyard, so that although technically he was not in holy ground, he was at least within a holy enclave. Quite what the significance of the six-year interval is, nor of Christmas Eve, no one seems to comment. Geoffrey died in September, so there's no obvious connection there. He was last due to make an appearance in 2016, but there seems to be no mention of anybody in the area getting startled by a man on horseback when they returned from their Christmas Eve partying. And it's not just the famous or the aristocracy who leave their spirits to wander on Christmas Eve. Egremont in Cumbria boasts a charmingly tragic tale of a farmer who many long years ago went to ride home after making merry at the local inn for the festive evening. He never made it home, and neither his body nor that of his horse were ever found. But supposedly, the pair can still sometimes be seen slowly podding along the lanes as they try to complete that fateful last journey in time for Christmas Day. So we'll end our Christmas Eve tales with another Queen of England. This time it is the tragic Lady Jane Grey, who held the title for just nine days before being beheaded on a charge of treason in February 1554, while still only 16 years old. On Christmas Eve, her ghost is said to get into her carriage outside the ruins of Bradgate Park House in Leicestershire and trundle down to the local church, where both she and her ghostly carriage and horses disappear. One set of ghost hunters in 2013 did manage to film what looks very much like a figure walking beside the house in December 2013. You can watch the video on YouTube and see what you think. Look under Ghost of Lady Jane Grey at her home in Bradgate. There are loads more cyclical ghosts around Christmas time, detailed in my book, Almanac of British Ghosts, and I'm sure they can't just be restricted to the UK in that. So please, if you know of any, write to me. Until next time, I wish you and your loved ones the best of Christmases in what's been such a difficult year all around the world. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thank you very much, Ruth, and a very Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones too. If you guys didn't catch our last episode, we definitely recommend you haven't listened to that. We spoke to author Ruth Roper-Wild for a whole episode about her new book, These Haunted Times, Volume 2. We also did a competition, the winner of which has been notified. That was Phil Jones. He was the lucky recipient of that signed copy of These Haunted Times, Volume 2 by Ruth. So that is on its way to him. Thank you very much for everyone who took part in that and for tweeting and resharing that episode. Don't forget, whenever we have these books on offer, these signed copies, all you have to do is share the episode on your social media feed and tag us into it. Sorry to those people who weren't successful this time, but we definitely recommend you picking up a copy of the book anyway. Yeah, so have a read. It's awesome. And do you know what? I've got to say this. We've got a YouTube channel now, and for those people who listen to the show who are not subscribed on there, if you do use YouTube at all, then have a look on there. You won't see us on there. We've just got our our logo playing, but you can play it via YouTube, so you can play it on your TV and stuff like that now, which a lot of people are starting to do. And so. I'm the invisible TV star now. (laughs) Would you believe that in the first, I think, 10 hours of the podcast being released, we had more views on YouTube than we actually did on our normal podcast feed in the first 10 hours? It's overtaken now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in the first sort of 10 to 12 hours, we have more on YouTube. So that seems to be a way people are starting to consume podcasts now. And it is just another reason why... You can't use that you can't get us to not listen. Exactly. Yeah. You'll find us absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Much to a lot of people's dismay. Yeah. (laughs) Mine. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much. We wish you a very Merry Christmas. Nadala Clowen. Jingle bells, jingle bells. You can jingle your bells all day. (laughs) Rocking around the Christmas tree. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be rocking around the Christmas tree after all that eggnog. Yeah, uh-huh. I know. Let us know, let us know, let us know. Yeah, the price is dandruff. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Rudolph the red nose reindeer. We've got him. Yeah. Oh, no one ever says why his nose was red. You you, you do that I reindeer thing. I don't know why thing. his nose is red because that's what it, like it a, was when he was born. Yeah, I know. But but you, is it like a, like a birthmark? But you know, no, it was a flipping boob. It glowed. <laughs> a boob. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine popping a kid out? Well, you can't, but you pop a kid out and it's got a light for a, a no a low uh nose. You'll get it. Go a on. light for a Easy nose. For you to say. Yeah, it's got a light for a nose and y'all are just like, Oh no, it's all right. Yeah. Well, of course there was that human, wasn't there, that it happened to? 
Did you ever see that game, Operation? Oh, you're funny. Yeah, 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 okay. (laughs) All right. Once again, Merry Christmas all. Thank you very much for sticking with us throughout this year. We will see you in 2021, which I'm told is going to be a better year than 2020. It fucking better be. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Enjoy your Christmas. We send our love to you all. And of course, while you're enjoying your Christmas, you must remain... Weird, Weird, wacky, wacky and and wonderful. wonderful.